smiled back and nodded at them as he pulled his wallet from the inside pocket of his overcoat. He opened it to his government ID card and held it up for their inspection. Yoshi Tanaka. He remembered how strange it used to be to hear others call him that. His handlers assured him that in time the discomfort would pass. After all these years, even through college and a successful career in government, he still smirked each time he heard it. He answered the guards in perfect Japanese. Good evening, Sergeant. Pleasant night, don't you think? Yes, sir. A little late work tonight? Yes. I'm afraid that our work only continues to grow in scope, no matter what we do. The guards were nice kids, even for Japanese. The one talking to him was from a farming community in Hokkaido. The other one was from Okinawa. Yen knew the question came out of kindness rather than concern for the late arrival. After coming across the find of his espionage career, Yen Xin Li had been sure to slowly adjust his hours to allow the maximum opportunity to take what he needed without detection. The guard waved to his counterpart in the guardhouse. Servo snapped on and the black entryway slid to his left to permit Yen access. Yen noticed the door to the station was propped open with a steel chair. Is that a proper thing to do? Sir, the steam heating system is not working properly. We can't turn it off and uh, it's getting too hot in here. Well, don't let it stay like that too long. I can't let it be said that I let the guard's detail break security rules. Yes, sir. Good night, man. Good evening, sir. That was the last time I'll ever have to go through that charade. Yen smiled openly once he was past them. He put his face back on as he entered the building. Yen knew that his rise to the rank of Deputy Assistant Minister for Administration had come by no coincidence. Infiltrating the Japanese had proven easy, much more so than the Russian, British, or American governments. Perhaps it was the proximity to Mother China, or even the commonalities of cultures and physical appearance. Either way, Yen knew that his ability to stay in office and rise in rank through the political and economic turmoil of the 80s was due to forces and powers beyond his view, but they were there just the same. He pressed the button for the elevator. Yen eyed a surveillance camera move toward him as he stepped into the lift. Everything is as it should be. He pressed the button for the sixth. Yen pulled the pistol and silencer from his pockets and put them together. Having worked in the same building for so long, he knew all of the security blind spots. He even knew how fast the elevator moved between floors. The gun went back into his coat as the floor indicator blinked his arrival. Yen took a step and found himself struggling for balance. He slipped on the tiling as if treading on ice. He flailed with both arms to keep from falling, but to no avail. He landed on his back. As he sat up, he realized the floor beneath him was soaking wet. Uh, damn it! Even through the pain coming from his backside, he heard his voice echoing down the corridor. The sharp pain came from his coccyx bone. He rubbed at it, but the ache didn't subside. He rolled to his right to pull himself up on all fours. Water from the floor had soaked through to his knees. As he reached for a nearby chair, the sound of approaching footsteps pulled his attention down the hallway. Takei rambled as fast as he dared with the slick floors. The old man, bald and stooped, had a bony frame that reminded Yen of a skeleton. He made his way over to Yen with a shuffle. Oh, sir! I'm so sorry! You old fool! You damn near killed me! Put up a sign before you really do kill someone! Takei only bowed his head. 
Yen hobbled down the corridor. He felt for his gun. I ought to just shoot that old bastard right now. Ikei had a dubious reputation at the ministry. As a very young man, he had been a soldier in the Great War. Most of Yen's co-workers treated him with great disrespect. Yen made his way to his outer office at a much slower pace than normal. On the way there, he leaned against the wall. File cabinets, almost anything he could find, take some of the weight off his lower back. His tailbone ached more with each step. Damn him! The bastard is probably one of the ones who raped my grandmother. I hate these animals. Within moments after he inserted his key, he was in. He leaned against the wall to rest a bit as he closed and locked the door. For the next two hours, he would need as much privacy and security as he could get. Both rooms, the outer area where his secretary normally sat, and his office, were relatively dark. Only light cutting through closed blinds allowed him to see her desk and his doorway. He limped the last few feet to his office and let himself in. Yen rested for a moment against the closed door. The short distance had felt like a marathon. Finally, inside his inner sanctum, Yen flipped the switch and overhead fluorescent lights flickered on with a crackle. He pulled the pistol from his overcoat and placed it on his desk. He slowly pulled off his overcoat and draped it over one of two adjacent guest chairs. Yen leaned against the top of his metal frame desk to get to his chair on the other side of it. He moaned as he eased into a gray high-backed chair. His tailbone hurt. Yen was sure something was broken. He placed the pistol with the attached silencer in the top drawer. He pushed it shut as he inserted the key into the lower right drawer and opened it. Red folders immediately caught his eye, and he smiled. An unknown cohort had done his or her job well. No logs, no cameras, nothing connected his office with these files. Everything was going according to plan. Almost five months earlier, Yen was carrying out his dutiful function of reviewing personnel payroll summaries when something caught his attention. Figures just didn't add up. Someone was doing a very good job, although not completely undetectable, of either stealing money or conducting some sort of covert activity. Yen arrayed the contents of the folders across his desk. Very soon, working papers marked with government security stamps covered his desk. He smiled to himself as he turned on his computer and flatbed scanner. With the recession firmly in place, getting a supervisor to authorize the purchase of the used equipment had been nothing short of a miracle. He eased back in his chair as the machines finished booting up. The Japanese version of the operating system seemed to take forever. Yen had heard that the Chinese incarnation was much faster. It was low on a list of things he longed to see for himself. You'd better not die on me, you inferior piece of capitalist junk. The noise was almost deafening. Yen Zin Li leaned forward with great discomfort to grasp the mouse. Several clicks later, the scanning program was up, and he was ready to begin. He examined the stack of paper and concluded it would take about forty minutes to scan. He placed the first one on the scanner and followed the steps as a computerized wizard guided him. The scanner whirled as a bright light crept out of the box's edges. When the noise stopped, the screen flickered then presented an image of the original document still on the scanner. Yen read each line, checking it for accuracy. He nodded and reached for a new page. He replaced the document on the scanner glass and closed the lid to repeat the process. 
He was in the middle of his tenth or eleventh sheet when something caused him to look up. Perhaps it had been movement in the doorframe or just a change in the light. He hadn't heard him over the scanner, yet there stood Mr. Takei, his mouth agape. Even that old fool knew that copying documents with red security classification stamps didn't look appropriate. Yen reached into his desk drawer. Takei's eyes remained fixed on the papers. So, you've come to clean my office? Yes, sir. Uh, also, I came here to apologize for the wet floor. That's okay. I think this office is clean enough. Your apology is accepted. The old man's brains had splattered over the door and wall of Yen's office and the adjoining entryway, making a horrible mess. Yen stood and hobbled around to the edge of his desk. He smiled as he pumped nine-millimeter rounds into Takei's already expired body. My grandmother was forced to be a comfort woman for you monkeys during your great war. You may not have been there, but your brothers or your cousins or your friends were. I may even be your great-grandson. What I would give to wash the Japanese blood from my veins. He pumped one more round into decay. The smell of gunpowder and the hot lead cooking the old man's dead flesh reached Yen's nose. I feel much better. The sound of the scanner clicking on to stay warmed up pulled his attention back to his desk. He looked back down at the K's bleeding corpse, and then the desk again. He shrugged before limping back to the desk. Scanning all this was getting just a little tedious anyway. Yen grabbed the papers, not bothering to keep them in order or even aligned, and shoved the lot into a briefcase. He turned back toward the door after he closed the briefcase full of papers. Reaching for his coat, he pulled it on. He carried extra ammunition in the left pocket. He reloaded, then looked at Takei once more, before stepping over him to leave the room. He didn't bother to switch off the light. The elevator ride down passed without event. Yen knew that eventually the other janitor would seek out his partner. When he found him, all hell would break loose. The door slid open and Yen grimaced as he tried to walk normally. The guard in the security station was sure to be watching him leave the building. Yen Xin Li's hand tightened around the pistol stock. Yen pushed on the main door and exited the trade ministry for the last time. He managed to keep up the facade as he walked down two flights of stone steps to the sidewalk. The guard station loomed ahead. Yen raised his hand to wave and the two in the station turned to smile at him. His tailbone screamed. Taking normal strides, quite simply, was the most excruciatingly painful experience of his life. He finally had to stop for a moment. Yen looked up to see one of the station guards standing to scrutinize him closer. Got to keep moving. He started walking again and the guard sat down. Yen noted that the door to the guard station was still propped open. Everything okay, sir? I slipped on a wet floor inside. I may have hurt my back. Do you want us to call an ambulance, deputy minister? No, no. I think I'll just go home and soak in a bath. The man nodded and pushed the button to open the gate. Yen now made no effort to hide his discomfort. He leaned against the guardhouse as the gate opened for him. Come on. Damn it. Hurry up. When it was open enough for him to get through, he still didn't move. He remained still until the gate was all the way open. 
As he stood on his own to walk through, the two men patrolling on foot came to attention. With the first step toward the gate, an alarm from the ministry building sounded. Yen pulled the pistol from his pocket and fired single shots at each of the two guards. They each fell with nine-millimeter bullet holes in their foreheads. The two men inside the guardhouse normally would have been protected behind a bulletproof glass window. However, Yen, with a deftness that impressed even himself, slipped back around to fire multiple shots through the open guardhouse door. Blood from the fallen guards splattered the windows and control panel. Yen put the gun back into his pocket and hobbled away without looking back. The alarm klaxon resonated in his ears as he crossed the street toward his train station. Thursday, April 8th, Project Blue Flame, Reactor Control Group, 6.30 p.m., 9.30 a.m., GMT. Somebody shut that damn thing off. I can't hear myself think. The klaxon that annoyed Dr. Robert Dietrich and everyone else at the facility took five long minutes to finally fall silent. A dozen men and women in white lab coats sat or stood at consoles of lights, dials, buttons, and computer monitors. The ones that stood shifted from one leg to the other. Those lucky enough to have seats moved around in their chairs in vain attempts to find comfort. Though the trapezoid-shaped room, about 30 feet on the lawn the side, comfortably accommodated the scientists and their instrument panels. Comfort was the last thing on Dietrich's mind. He glanced across at his colleague, Dr. Stanley Lowen. Like most of the crew, Lowen worked at his console with an all-consuming fervor. A little out there, Lowen wore long, bushy blonde hair and an earring. The applied mathematician and physicist, besides holding several advanced degrees and citations, also looked and dressed like an 80s-era rock star. It's hitting the fan. Dietrich looked at the fusion reactor's tritium monitoring panel. Analog needles buried themselves at the right. Now in full overload, the reactor was producing too much power and consequently too much heat. Red lights, constant and blinking, peppered the instrument panels. Dietrich's PC now displayed horizontal temperature bar graphs. Two of them indicated the temperature rate of change. The third showed the metallic torus skin temperature. At this rate, it would explode in a few moments. Dietrich checked his display. We've got maybe a minute or so before this whole place becomes a big lava pit. Stanley! Yeah? What the hell? Hold on a minute. I think I've got something. The electron neutrino injector is stuck shut. What do we do? Bleed helium exhaust as much as we can. Dietrich also noted Lowen's characteristically calm demeanor. Such was his way. Today's event numbered as their 50th or 60th emergency since the project's inception. The Lowen cool was legendary. Some might attribute this to upbringing or religion or some other esoteric thing.